Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to All Snooks Aren't We, a podcast in which snooker fans cast their combined eye over goings on at the Crucible, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at the World Championships. I'm John McKenzie, the Neil Robertson 147 of the podcast, Poetry in Motion, and today I'm joined by the Judd Trump queuing action of the podcast, Wibbly Wobbly, it's Darren Driver. <laughs> Darren, how are you doing? Snooker loopy nuts are we, etc, etc. I'm great, yeah, because uh, it's the World Snooker championship final day and i'm happy this is my favorite time of the year this is my favorite weekend of the year so if we could just spend the next hour talking about the world snooker championships i'm sure people would find me in a much more positive mood than (laughs) than they might do if we were to talk about leeds united but i'm not feeling unduly negative about leeds but yeah i'm i'm good john i'm good um how are you buddy yeah good i've been watching most of the world championships as well so have you found ronnie so far imperious form just beautiful isn't it i mean it's just 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 like watching him when he's on and watching his cue action when it's when it's working well uh it's just one of the most beautiful sights in all of sport and and i agree with what you said to me the other day john that that uh, ronnie is the only sportsman probably who's worthy of the the title genius um and um i know that people say snooker's boring but actually what i think is that people say that snooker is boring or boring and what i enjoy is just uh just what enjoy watching the snooker so much and just love it anyway i've bought my tickets for next year's tournament already so i'm everything's good and i'm i'm getting gonna get settled in for a for a day of well hopefully a long session but it might actually finish with a session to spare which would be a bit bit unfortunate because i like the final to go late um, and eat lots of carbs while i'm watching it but anyway there we go there's there's the snooker it's all it's all good you've been enjoying it yourself john yeah i've only really caught the semis onwards um but i'm a big ronnie fan as you've already alluded to so um that helps me sort of keep my interest in what's going on up so yeah i've, I've caught most of the the final so yeah it's been good fun good stuff anyway from the sublime to the ridiculous, we need to talk about Leeds United. So let's jump in with a game summary. So obviously we're talking about the 4-0 loss to Manchester City at Elland Road. The XG, 
according to Statsbomb, was Leeds United 1.2 xG to 2.7 in City's favour. So looks quite a bit closer than the scoreline suggests. There had been rumours of a back three in the run-up to the game and it proved to be the case. And with Diego Llorente injured and Liam Cooper pulling up in the warm-up, there was quite a bit of shuffling around with Matthias Klick coming in and Robin Koch dropping back into the defensive line. Koch was flanked by... Luke Ayling and Pascal Strauch and Dallas and Junior took up the wing-back positions. And with Phillips and Click in midfield, Rafa, Rodrigo and Harrison made up the front line. So this was obviously slightly different structure from what we were expecting. So in the first half, we played a 5-4-1 structure, particularly through the early phases of the game and tried to force Manchester City wide into areas where we could press them. And it worked fairly well until City scored from a set piece in the 13th minute. And after that point, we did try and work the ball into more advanced areas, although we didn't really generate anything good in terms of attacking chances in the first half, except for that scenario where Rodrigo profited from a Cancelo slip, uh, but couldn't get the ball square to Rafinha but defensively I thought the structure worked fairly well in the first half and we did manage to reduce City to only a couple of chances the end of the first half was marred by Stuart Dallas breaking his leg which was horrible to see but structurally we responded to this by moving Rafinha to wing back and bringing Dan James on up front by the time the second half swung around I thought Guardiola made some changes to try and create more space for himself in wide areas so the front three went narrow the ball far fullbacks dropped to help out in the build-up and then Gundogan dropped into the ball near fullback space. Um, so they just made their progression a lot easier. Uh, and as a result, I thought that City were better at generating dangerous moments. And I also think we, we sort of went quite hard in the first half um, in terms of the press, and that dropped off a lot in the second half as well. So City then picked up another set-piece goal, and then as the half was drawing on, uh, they got a third from a pretty lax bit of team defending. Leeds did create a flurry of chances after this point for a couple of minutes around the 90th minute, but Fernandinho added a fourth from outside the box to close things out. So a weird game. When you see, you know, creating 1.2 XG against City, you think that's pretty good. When you consider that the majority of that 1.2 XG was generated at 3-0 down with injury time to play, I suppose it changes things as well. But equally, the way things had been going, a lot of us expected this to be a bit of a shower of a game and it didn't turn out that way. So lots to talk about uh, and that will move us on nicely to the interrogation, which when there's only one other person on, we call the conversation, I suppose. So (laughs) Darren, let's jump in and talk about what happened in that game. So in this section, we have five questions that we explore just to see what was going on on the field and try and get to the heart of what was going on in the game. So Darren, question one, we've been critical of performances despite results under Jesse Marsh. Is this a game about praising the performance despite the result? I think I'd sort of cautiously say yes, there were definitely elements of the performance that I think were commendable. Um, like you say, I think, I, think we, I think we defended pretty well um, in, in, in the first half particularly. Um, and yeah, I think I think we held good shape. I think we did manage to funnel the ball pretty well at times. I think we pressed um, rather than sort of chased the ball around a lot. I think we we did try and hold a decent a decent shape so that we could make City put the ball where we wanted them to. Um, and yeah, overall, I think the first half was was a creditable performance. If you're looking for like a nil nil or a low scoring draw. 
and and against against City, I think that is the most sensible way to go. And we sort of alluded to to that in the preview podcast that we felt that kind of doing doing a low block and trying to hang on to it might be the best way. And we didn't quite do that, but we we did we did drop pretty deep and we did stay pretty compact and stay as a good unit. Um, I think I think the one thing for me is that. Um, we just weren't in the first half particularly, or, or even while the game was live. Really, I think that's how I'd phrase it. While while the game was live as as a competitive um, occasion, we weren't able to generate anything, any re- any real meaningful threat. And and I, I know that people thought that towards the end of the first half that we looked more threatening, but I thought City were very much in control of all those situations, and that that you know that we got. All we did is get into some advanced areas. I don't think we really managed to create any real threat at all. And then once once the game goes to two nil, um, and then three nil, you you really you know you might you might as well throw throw some players forward and and try and cr- commit a little bit more into attacking areas. And that's what we did. And like you say, we did manage to create you know three decent chances, but but they were at the get at the point the game was already dead. But but. I suppose I didn't expect a great deal from this game. I expected City to um, to run up a bit of a cricket score, and although four 0 is a high scoring defeat, um, I think we did manage to stay in the game for longer than I expected. And um, you know, if Rod- if Rodrigo has a bit more composure um, in that in the third minute, um, I have to say that although the pass to Rafinha was on, there was one specific moment the pass was on. That, that Who's the defender? Anyway, whoever it was, they positioned themselves extremely well to make sure that... that Rodri, I think. Yeah, um, okay. So he positioned himself extremely well to make sure that that pass was either not on or very difficult at the point that it was on. So, um, yeah, I think... if But if we managed to carve out something there and even nick a goal there, I think the, the game looks quite different. But as it is, City score first and, and then... We're always onto a bit of a hiding to nothing because if we come out and commit to attack, they're going to pick us off. Um, and if we stay compact and deep, we're not likely to generate enough chances to do that. So, I, I, yeah, I think it was a creditable performance. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as some people seem to have been suggesting, but but I think it it was it was a good enough performance in the circumstances against the opposition. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point that you mentioned at the end there that it's it's maybe not as good as people think, and I think. The reason why we would say that is not because we're being unduly miserable, but because I think that Manchester City play in a way that is going to be quite different from the rest of the teams that we're facing. And I think there's been a general consensus that, well, if you can play well-ish against Manchester City, then that bodes you in, uh, bodes well for when you're playing teams like Arsenal and Chelsea that are coming up. But Manchester City play a game which is based around this idea of high risk, getting players forward, controlling the game, and then being able to snuff out those those chances that come when you're wide open at the back. Um, and so I think that maybe because we were able to you know get forward a couple of times and look quite dangerous, uh, that people translate that into, well, you know, we can just sit deep against... Arsenal, we can sit deep against Chelsea, um, absorb pressure and then break quickly and, and generate chances. Um, maybe that's the case against Chelsea, although I do think that Chelsea, Chelsea's issue is that they're a lot more defensively minded, so they're much less likely to generate dangerous moments themselves, but they're also much less likely to allow dangerous moments at the other end of the field. And, and as for Arsenal, I mean, I, I think Arsenal have been really good this season, but Arsenal still are a different level to those other clubs who are going to look to you know dominate possession and and just control games um so again with arsenal i'm not sure that we're going to get quite the same upside um 
so yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on that, but in terms of going forward, people I think are quite confident about the next couple of games, weirdly. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that those games are going to play out in quite the same way. No, well, I think Arsenal's, and, and we'll come on to this later, but I think Arsenal have got a lot of things that are going to cause us problems, which are not the same things that City do, which is to move the ball well, to move the opposition around and create spaces. Arsenal don't do that quite as well, but they do. But they definitely have a lot of threats and they definitely have um, some tactical things which will cause us problems. And I agree, Chelsea Chelsea will play a, quite a balanced game, I think, and um, you know they, they will definitely have dangerous attacking moments but I think they'll also be pretty defensively solid and 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 I, I don't think that in the in the last three games and I think you can take the City game out of it to a degree but but I don't think that in the last three games we've looked like we were going to be able to create enough good chances or enough good situations to create chances to, to really trouble either of those two teams now you know obviously as we always say anything can happen in a game of football and 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 all that sort of stuff um but i don't think that playing well against playing well to a degree against city has any bearing or influence on what's going to happen in the rest of the season yeah I sh- we should stress that that we're not saying that we think that they're going to be bad performances against those two teams it's just going to be a different type of game to the manchester yeah. city game yeah absolutely question 2 do we think that Cooper getting injured in the warm-up actually worked out well for us because I thought that Click's inclusion was really important in the first half and I don't know if you'd agree with that. I, I do. In the, I, th- I think I agree with it in the sense that um, that that as much as I, I do like some of what Robin Cox is able to do and as much as I do like Calvin Phillips, I do think those two together is a bit of an axis of evil in, in, in the midfield double pivot because I, I, I just think that they don't, they don't have enough guile between them and and to to kind of be able to either move the ball or to um yeah kind of have that in-game awareness that 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 click has and that that ability to kind of um you know make make good decisions in possession and I, I talked about that in the in the recent newsletter um i i always think click should be starting for us at the moment and it should be it should be click plus one um because he's he's the best the best player at linking up the gap between the back five and and the front unit, the front four, and, and when he's not in, I just feel like we just separate into two two distinct units, or worse than that, we we congeal into one. Um, and um, so, yeah, in terms of his ability to link up the team and to kind of link all the different areas of the team in a really smart and intelligent way, whether his passes are coming off or not, again, as I've said many times before, it's kind of irrelevant, really. It's the things that he's trying to trying to do that are more important than the things that he actually manages to pull off at times. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, I think it, we would have we would have looked even less threatening had it been. Um, Cock and Phillips in the midfield than than when we get when we manage to get click in there with one of them. And I suppose the flip side of that question is how do we think that um, Pascal Strout did in Liam Cooper's position for the game? I didn't really notice him. I have to be honest. I, I don't. I don't think he had a particularly outstanding game either way. I, I think he was. I think he was caught out defensively a couple of times, and I think he was pretty weak on on some of the set piece moments. Um, I yeah. I think he's in the, he's in a bit of a difficult moment um, and. I think in terms of possession, 
He's obviously a bit less progressive than Cooper. I think Cooper's always more likely to be a bit more proactive in terms of the way that he uses the ball. Um, but I, I, yeah, I thought I thought Pascal... So it's difficult to compare, isn't it? Because Cooper is always likely in one of these games to kind of do something stupid and ridiculous when he's up against a high-caliber high opponent. Um, and Pascal's not going to do that, so you're going to notice him less. But at the same time, I think we we probably did miss Cooper's proactive nature, particularly from the set pieces, which I know we're going to come on to talk about a little bit later. Question three, why do you think the first half was so tight? So my view on this is that City were pretty proactive up until they scored um, and then they became more passive at both ends of the pitch but also I think they became they became sort of quite stretched and they weren't they weren't able to move the ball up, up the field as a collective unit in the way that they normally do because they didn't have players in the, in the positions that they ordinarily would they seemed I think they seemed to take the approach that well this is about us winning the game and and really kind of trying to spread out and and make and and I think spread us out as well because obviously we wanted to be compact and I think they wanted to make sure that we weren't able to do that so I think they played with with a lot of width and a lot of depth in the first half and I don't think it worked for them because they weren't able to move the ball um, through us in the way that they ordinarily would um, and I think that's partly to do with our press it's partly to do with the distribution of their players on the pitch um, and. Yeah, I I think that that's that's it really. I just don't I just don't think City were were on it in terms of um in in terms of their attacking play um and our press worked to a degree and our defensive unit worked to a degree um and then I think um in the second half they compacted as you've already alluded to in the in the in the game summary they they compacted a lot they made sure that when they were on the ball that they they had the the passing options that they would ordinarily have they were able to move the ball much more effectively we went into a different shape and i don't think we looked as well drilled in the 343 as we did in the in the 541 and i think that helped them too um but they they were just able to kind of get through us much more easily in the in in that second half we we looked much more open and they looked much more compact on the ball um so they were able to move up the pitch as a unit in a way that they weren't able to do in the first half yeah i think it's something that i've noticed whenever we've played manchester city bar probably the 7-0 which i think is probably an outlier result given the fact that it seemed as though the players were done at that point was that we've we've always caused manchester city problems with intensity um, and I think that was probably the case in the first half. Um, they were just a little bit unsettled with with the higher pressure coming through. I also think that with a few times we've played City, um, they've had some of their um, backup players in. And I think that probably impacted things as well. I thought Gundogan was pretty poor uh, at the weekend, particularly under pressure. And I noticed in the second half, as I mentioned in the in intro um the the Guardiola sort of moved Gundogan into wider areas to give him a bit, little bit more time and space on the ball uh, but also to sort of help the build up in wide areas as well um so I think yeah a combination of things in the first half I think sitting f- five four one is always hard to break down anyway um I don't think that that's necessarily a piece of tactical genius to go that way. But I think, you know, we went 5 for one and then conceded within 13 minutes. And so that sort of plan is out of the window. You then have to come out and try and get something out of the game. So we we pushed forward. And um, yeah, weirdly in the first half, I thought that we, we defended much better than we did in the second half, but we didn't create much. And in the second half, we... You know, didn't defend that well, but we we generated a bit more, so um, uh, conceded a few more as well, I suppose. But the, the other things that I mentioned in in the intro was that in the second half, Guardiola did a few things just to make that build up um, a little bit easier for them in the in in the wide areas. So in the first half, it was very much a case of 
back five. So you've already got an, a player over in the wide areas. Um, and then you play with a fairly narrow four in front of uh, in front of them with the two wide players dropping in alongside the two pivot players. And then you sort of invite that ball into the side and then you push sideways and try and press them out. And then you have um, your, your fullback or wingback, I guess it would be, pushing hard on the wide player. And then you're outside centre-back on that side. So ailing on the right and Strauch on the left, covering the space in behind. And it makes it pretty tough to to really get any any kind of edge. And so in the second half, with the front three going a bit narrower, it just pulled the wing-backs a little bit more central. And it allowed then the, the full-backs to, uh, um, to to get a little bit more advanced in those in those spaces. And I guess that's what the... Um, the back four then they they sort of um they they became a a de facto back three at times and the ball sided fullback was able to push right up the field Gundawan would drop in in behind the fullback just to give a little bit of extra cover and a little bit of extra support and that just seemed to give them a little bit more um space and time as well so um i i thought we defended pretty well in the first half for sure um but i think you know that's that's the the gamble isn't it you go you go 3-4-3 you go 5-4-1 uh, against a good side and then you're much less likely to generate any chances and I think up until uh, the 89th minute as we said there was, it was basically something like 0.2 xg that we generated um, and yeah at that point we we were able to put up about an xg which is good under the circumstances but um, yeah it, I guess at 3-0 down it's just a little bit too little too late. Question four was our attacking play as good as is being suggested in the wake of the game? No, <laughs> it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't. I, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, we we did create three good chances, two of which were in the same phase of play. So that kind of reduces things a little bit for me, anyway. And then, and then the, the then there was a, a one shortly after that. Um, but other than that, really, I, I I don't think we were able to. Like I said earlier on, we we really didn't cause. City many problems in when in in the first half like they 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 were in control of every situation, um, and in the second half yeah we we looked a bit more threatening and we were able to move the ball a bit more effectively at times and um, but but again I I really didn't feel like we were going to create a good a good chance against them at the point at which the game was still a live competitive thing um, so you know we we. I think I think we looked slightly better in the three four three than we have in the in the previous three games in terms of being able to move the ball into attacking areas and then have have some options on the ball and particularly like for for Jack Harrison um, there have been times recently when when particularly he's got the ball on the left hand side and what he's been used to um, for the previous three years is people making good runs off him people trying to support him and, and kind of give him options. And he's been very isolated in the in the recent games, but I thought yesterday when we moved into the three three four three, when he received the ball, um, you know, thirty yards from goal on the left hand side, it looked like we had a bit more, a bit more um, that, that there was more movement, that there was that there were options for him to pass to, and that therefore he had he had decisions to make about which option to take, which isn't always the best thing with Jack Harrison, I, I grant, because he can sometimes freeze himself. But um, so I think we did look marginally better in the second half in the three four three than we did in the first half, but still not enough to really cause them any problems. Now, obviously, City are a good side, very good defensively as well, which I think is you know people sort of don't always talk about with them um, and they were able they were able to snuff out our attacks quite easily throughout the game until that last minute yeah it's it's sort of hard to say really uh, how good your attack is against a team as good as Man City we did well to generate a few I thought a few moments where we were doing that that 
Red Bull thing of getting the ball into central spaces and looking for that last ball. And obviously the the Dan James chance right at the end was the the culmination of that. Um, that's the sort of chance that we'll be looking to generate more under Jesse Marsh. That was, I think, 0.6 xG, the chance when it came. Um, and then Greenwood had a chance off the back of that as well, which I think was much lower rated. And then beyond that, actually, the other good chance I thought that we generated, there was two There was two chances actually we generated that felt quite Bielsa ball. There was the one where Rafinha went through on goal when we played the ball down the wing, uh, sort of did a few quick passes and then Rafinha got in behind as, as we're used to seeing. Um, and then there was the, the one where Gail Hart had uh, a shot from from the, sort of the uh, around the penalty spot which he was stretching th- for a little bit so I think maybe the xG um, slightly overrated that one but that, I think that was given as a 0.4 xG chance um, and that was a very Beelzebul I think generated chance where we got click into that wide area and he cut the ball back there were some good chances I thought as good as you can hope for against Manchester City so I, I do think that there, were, there were positives there as well final question do we see the three four three as the formation that we're going to see more often now going forward? I actually think that a three four three suits our squad, um, suits the suits the composition of our squad at the moment. Um, and I, I when Marsh came in, I did half expect him to use that formation um, as a result of that. Um, but I don't think so. I don't think we will necessarily see it going forward. I think we'll go back to the four two three one four two two type thing that we've been doing in 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 the in the previous games um I'm not really sure I think I think given given the opposition yesterday I think he wanted three center backs um in position at all times and you can you can definitely understand that we're not going to face um an attack as potent as Manchester City's for the rest of the game so I think he'll want to to redistribute to make sure that he's got players in advanced areas to kind of support the press a little bit more um than than we did yesterday so I I, I do very much expect us to go back to the 4-2-3-1 from next week what do you think John yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I've no real opinion on it either way, but I do think that we brought in the three four three because, as we've said before the game, um, there was definitely that threat from Manchester City hitting those wide spaces um, in in attack, and then being one of the best teams to be able to just um, you know move the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. They definitely did that uh, a little bit, but I do think that there was the the added benefit of playing with that back back three and the and I suppose the um the the de facto back five that we saw at times it just meant that City weren't able to benefit as much perhaps from those switches of play that we talked about in the preview podcast as well so I think that worked out quite well and as you say I I think the 3-4-3 definitely suits our squad from a from a, a sort of squad makeup point of view I suppose the the big question is whether or not you're willing to sacrifice the the attacking edge that you get from having an extra player forward um, in in the games coming up. Where you know we are we are at a point now where you do, you can't even go into games really. I suppose you can go into games against Chelsea and think right, let's just try and uh, hold on for a draw. But I th- you've got to treat every game as a, as a situation where we need to pick up points. Um, and I think the best way of probably doing that for us is going to be trying to trying to get a goal um, early on ahead of the the opposition. And and I think. As you said, the the four two three one, four triple two thing is probably going to be the much better way of doing that. So it will be fascinating going forward. It may be the case that he enjoyed the performance. Well, he clearly did enjoy the performance, Jesse Marsh. <laughs> 
embarrassingly so, but um, he may just sort of jump on that and think that he's some kind of tactical genius off the back of that performance uh, and then stick with it. So it's hard to know really what, what to expect from it. Did we look poorest in the three-four-three? more poorest in the three-four-three because we were committing players forward or because we weren't as sort of familiar with, with the shape? I thought that City were able to pick their way through quite easily a few times in the second half. But I, but I was wondering whether it was more of a game state thing because we were trying to commit more players forward or whether it's just because we weren't, weren't quite as well set in that formation. I mean, the third goal in particular, we were just wide open, like absolutely wide open. And that was because we were committing forward. But it it was also a situation where our back three were, were completely spread. And all it took was for Cancelo to play the ball past Harrison as the wing back into the midfield space. And it was it was Foden versus no one. And then sort of Phillips came across and, and then Foden just played that ball into the feet of Gabriel Jesus. So yeah, it's it's a funny one because I think before that, like we'd looked fairly solid in in defensive situations, and then we just had that one situation where everything looks a little bit more open, and uh, yeah, it, it looked ridiculously easy to play through. Um, it's hard to really judge the game, I think, in a, in a lot of respects because I think City were on the day a little bit poor. I thought they were a little bit uh, wasteful in front of goal. There's a few situations where they could have probably generated one v ones in in the box quite easily uh, but just didn't get the ball moved quickly enough and yeah I I do think that it, there's a sense in which City are probably trying to play within themselves at the moment they don't want to they, they don't want to over effort the the games that they have in the Premier League they will just want to get through them and make sure they get those wins and keep everyone as fit as possible for the the Champions League games so I think that's a a caveat as well and we went into the game didn't we saying well you know maybe City will change up their first 11 which they did and you know we saw the result last time when when City did that and we got results from Manchester United and Liverpool um, in that run as well because they were being a little bit more careful so um, I do think that's a sort of caveat on the side to to the way that that Manchester City played it's it's just really hard then to to know how to judge that game going going forward so in terms of the 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 343 structure I thought they looked solid when they were sitting in the bank of five and four and and not really committing to anything apart from when the ball came into their zone and then they just pressed hard but yeah when once we we sort of opened up a little bit more it was a lot more as you said porous so yeah we'll see how it goes I suppose going forward Mm. Definitely. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay. 
Well, enough of my questions. Time for your questions. So, Darren, this is the Bring a Topic section. What did you want to talk about? I've got two things, actually. I've only written one of them on the running order, but I've just thought of another one that I thought it might be worth touching on. And this is this is specific to the game, so I'll come to that one first. We committed a lot of fouls yesterday. Discuss. Yeah, we did. I did say to you before the game that I was watching back the, the Leipzig game against Manchester City earlier in the season. And I think there's 20 fouls in that game that were eventually given up. And I think there was 18 fouls on Saturday. 18 yesterday, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you, look, in many respects, the the way that we're playing is that we are going to give up a lot of tactical fouls when players get in behind us. So yeah. uh, Junior, for example, picked up a yellow card just grabbing Phil Foden when he got past him. Um, when, you're, when you're defending sort of high press or like high intensity press against individuals who are strong then you'll often give away a lot of fouls but I do think we gave up a lot of fouls um and I suppose that there was a lot of complaints about the free kick um which they scored from being not a free kick but um I, I felt as though there was a lot of situations where we gave up potential free kicks that weren't given and I think when you're playing in that way the referees are just going to be more likely to give anything that looks like a, a free kick as well so um it was maybe playing on Tierney's mind that he'd let a few go I, th- I think Jack Grealish got through a few times and just got completely taken out by Dallas and uh, and the ref let it let, let it play on. So I think it's just one of those ones where you just say, "Oh well, um, that's that's sometimes how it goes." But uh, you do run the risk, right? Manchester City, I think, have generated the most goals from set pieces this season. Um, that's partly because they've generated some of the uh, more of the, I guess, not as many as Liverpool, but uh, some of the most goals uh, conceded uh, scored in the Premier League this season. So there's a sense in which that's going to be a necessary corollary but um yeah if you're giving away a lot of free kicks or in and around the box against teams like Manchester City then you've run the risk of conceding from them right absolutely yeah absolutely uh I agree and I yeah and it was definitely deliberate right it was definitely a tactical decision that as soon that if a player got by the Leeds player that they were to bring them down I mean low, it was all low level fouling you know by and large um so I just I just wanted to yeah just mention it because I thought it was a useful thing. The other thing, John, and I'm afraid we're going to do this every week now until the end of the season, is I just want to get a relegation temperature check on you because you've been you've been really calm about the idea well that we might get relegated or thinking that we'll probably survive, and I'm increasingly of the opinion that, that our goose is cooked and we're done. Um, so um, I just wanted to get a I wanted you to reassure me really and tell me that everything's going to be all right <laughs> and tell me where the points are going to come from and how we're going to get them. Well, if you want reassuring, I suppose all the models I've seen say that we're still more likely to stay up than we are to go down, um, which is maybe clutching at straws a little bit. But um, there's three teams battling over one place, and one of those teams has fewer points than us, despite having a game in hand. Um, and at this level of the table, you can't ever guarantee that they're you know, going to pick up the points that you expect them to get. I know that works the other way around, and so far as Everton picked up points yesterday that we didn't expect them to get, but uh, the other team is obviously Burnley, who are level with us on points as well, so it's it's pretty much going to be a race to the bottom, I think. It's it's um, it's a, a gunfight to, to get points, and whoever ends up getting those points is going to be the, the team that, that survives. So we are the favourites of those three now to get relegated, given our run of fixtures. Um, and we've got we've got Arsenal and then Chelsea, which both are tough games. Um, and even getting a point from one of those two fixtures, I think, would would really change our our, our chances of, of staying up. Um, but then we've got 
Brighton, who we've perennially struggled against, um, despite the fact that we've obviously never faced them under Jesse Marsh. And then Brentford on the last day, who I guess most people will be hopeful that they'll be quote-unquote on the beach. Although it, it should be said that um, with us last season, that wasn't the phenomenon that we experienced. We we carried on going and, and, and really flew in the last few games. So uh, it's hard to know what to take from there. But yeah, it's I'd say... It, it's not over yet. There's a lot of people I think who are just releg- you know, relegated to the the idea now that we're we're going down. Um, I don't think that's the case, but yeah, we're definitely the team who are most likely to go down. We're definitely the team with probably the least momentum going into this final run of four games. Um, so yeah, there, there is a real chance of us going down, despite my um, my previous optimism about what 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 has been the case. Uh, I'm much less positive than I was. Thank you. My certainty that we're going down is sort of um, what I'd call an emotional safety circuit. Yeah. That's what that is. Um, Obviously, I don't want that to be the case most of the time. (laughs) I think there's a lot of fans who are just accepting relegation now. So if it doesn't happen, it will be a sort of pleasant surprise rather than... yeah. Except uh, expecting us to stay up and then getting disappointed yeah. when we do go down. So I just don't see where the win's coming from that we need. I think we need a win, and I just don't. Now, I, obviously, I know that football's daft, right? And 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 a win, but at the moment, I just don't see where the win's coming from. Yeah, I think if you go through each of those four fixtures on their own, and you sort of weigh them up in terms of individual fixtures without any context behind them you have to say that Leeds are the underdogs in every one of those games. Yeah. Which isn't a great position to be in. So, um, no. yeah, it's there is a possible timeline where we lose every one of those games. Mm-hmm. But like you say, there's there's a possibility that anything can happen. Like, no one expected Everton to beat Chelsea. No one thinks that Everton is suddenly a, a great team who have, are going to be producing great results. So, there's definitely that. Maybe if we put in the sorts of performances that we did against Manchester City, we'll stay in these games and maybe be able to dig something out against the uh, mm. the, the two teams in the top six. The big question for me is like, how do we perform against those teams where we're expected to compete and come out and, and actually possess the ball and do something with it rather than just sort of sit back and try and hit in transition? Um, and that's what we were saying before about Man City. Like Man City, mm. in many respects, are like they're sort of an ideal team for us to play against, in, the, in at least in our attacking phase, right? Because they're going to be open at the back. They're going to have spaces that we can attack at speed. Whereas, you know, other teams aren't going to be like that. I don't think Arsenal and Chelsea are actually going to be that open at the back. Um, and certainly mm. the other two teams aren't. So anyway, I think I feel as though we've we've tended towards the negative now. So let's... Sorry, everyone. Let's, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Everyone's thinking about it. I saw the timeline this morning. People are already planning the squad in the championship. So, um, yeah. <laughs> right. Let's get to listener questions. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Thanks for the questions that were sent in. So question number one from Johnny Bradbourne, who said, did Marsh get the Dallas substitution wrong? We were playing well until then. Why not replace like for like and slide ailing across and bring on either Cresswell or Urente? I'd rather defend deep and hang on to a, a 1-0 when there's always a chance late on. So what did you make of moving Rafinha into that right wing back position, Darren? Well, that's the thing I've got the issue with. I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a problem with bringing Dallas or a another player on, for, uh, bringing uh, James or a another player on for um, for Stuart Dallas. Like it was, it was the idea that we'd move our most potent creative attacking force and the mo- the, the the player in a game where you can, where if you're going to get anything, you need moments. Rafinha's the player who's going to do a moment more, more likely than than any of the others. So I think putting him into the right wing back position. Um, yeah, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand that decision. And 
I'm sure, or I hope at least, that, that Marsh has got a really sound reason for doing that instead of putting James there, um, who, you know, seems more suited to a game where it's going to be about shuttling to me and, and, where, and who seems more capable of kind of doing that heavy press work that you're going to need to do from that position, particularly in the way that City were moving the ball wide. So for me, if you're going to bring James on, fine, but but put him uh, in the position where Dallas was and and keep Rafinha where he's going to be able to create some danger and some threat and, and potentially create chances. So um, in terms of the shape of the game, you know, we're already 1-0 down at that point. We do need to, <coughs> to come out at some point um, and... You know, um, I suppose if you if you become if you become really passive and sit back, City are used to that, and eventually they'll unpick you. So I think there is a bit of a roll of the dice there as to whether you whether you decide to um, stick with your your five four strict five four one shape, or whether you choose to come out a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of ambivalent. I don't really know what I don't really know the answer to this, except that I don't want Rafinha playing at right wing back when there's an option of putting Dan James there instead. I suppose we talked a little bit in the early parts of the season about how easy it was for managers to sort of manipulate Rafinha's position. Uh, we talked about Graham Potter basically changing his formation up so that he knew that, that um, Rafinha would end up in a slightly deeper position. Um, and then there was, I think Norwich we played against under Daniel Farker when they when they played a back three, but then made sure that Omar Bimadeli was, was pushing forward as a, as a outside centre back to to basically drag Rafinha away from the goal, so I suppose for me the frustration is is that we've we've sort of got past that need for man marking where whereby we can actually control the position that our players are in a little bit more, and our managers just automatically taking the decision to take Rafinha out of those more dangerous areas. Now there has to be an argument made that actually playing him as a wing back allows him to get into the wider areas that suit him better. That's true. Yep. But when you're playing against a team like Man City, like how many times did we really see that happening? I think there was the there was a one chance where where he gets forward uh, in behind, and that was about it in 45 minutes of of football. Uh, and and for me, that's not really a a calculus that really works out for me in terms of getting the most out of of Rafinha. So all of that to say, I can see the maybe you see the logic behind it, but I also don't necessarily think the logic justified itself in in the reality. Yeah, that's fair. Right, question two from Lewis Spedding. And we had a few questions, I suppose, about this, but Michael Richards singled out Robin Koch for losing Rodri for the first goal. Was it not the fault of Strauch and Co. behind him who kept dropping deep to play him on? Uh, what were your thoughts on that, Darren? The issue here, as I see it, is that nobody attacks the ball. So it, the first thing is it's a, it's a very, very good ball into the box, right? So it's going to be difficult to defend in any case. The, the trajectory is perfect, the pace is perfect, the whip is perfect. Um, so that's difficult. But then... Like I think all of our defensive players, including Phillips, were really quite passive, and and no, nobody comes and attacks it. Now you can say what you want about Liam Cooper, and I've said many many things about Diego Llorente, but both of those players attack the ball. Whether, whether they get it, whether they clear it, is a different matter. But both of them are proactive enough to know that a ball into into the box like that, it, you you can't just be passive um, in in the way that our team were on that first goal. So I don't actually blame any individual for it, but I just think that collectively nobody comes and makes the decision that they're going to attack the ball and that they're going to be the one to win it, or at least get you know put a really robust challenge in it all felt it all felt very wafty to me it was very wafty defending uh, from from that delivery yeah it's one of those ones isn't it where people have spent so long complaining about zonal um, man marking versus zonal marking 
Yep. That that is a great example of zonal marking not working. Um, and there's, I guess there's a few things that I would say about it. One is that, like, yeah, okay, when you're doing man marking, then you have the ability to be quite aggressive. And I know that you have the the idea is to be aggressive with your zonal markers and you'll have like three or four on the line of the six yard box and they're attacking the zone in front of them and they're supposed to judge whether or not the ball is going in their zone and attack it from there and that that didn't happen but I also sort of think that you but you, you you should have you know your your players following up behind as well so you're still doing a hybrid of, of man and zonal marking in terms of playing Rodri on I don't buy this because Rodri no, is right at the back of the pack and he, he runs through. Like No one's playing him on. He, he runs from an onside position, from a very onside position to head the ball. The issue yeah. is that he's not tracked and he um, and, and Phillips, I don't know if I'd have to rewatch it, but Phillips is definitely the player who has the chance of getting ahead of him to head the ball and he gets nowhere near he get, it. He, he gets under it. He, Phillips gets under yeah. the ball is what happens um, I agree with you John if we hold a high line somebody whether it's Rodri or somebody else is just going to run through and get on the end of that cross irrespective of that like totally agree yeah so with Phillips I'm not sure if he's the zonal marker or if he is the tracking marker could even be the case that he's tracking someone else and then realises that the ball's going into a dangerous situation tries to get rid of it so I wouldn't be too um, worried about my singling out of him but in terms of the playing on side part of things. There's just such a long, you know, there's such a long time between the ball being struck and the ball arriving at, at uh, Rodri's head that I think he's just so clearly going to be on side by the time that that ball gets through to him that it's 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 very much about the structural issues rather than any any sort of individual issue there. Right, final question from Kicker of Elves who asks. Jack Harrison, surely the preferred left back over Junior Furpo, right? Which is a question that we've seen on and off throughout the last three seasons, I think. Well, not obviously not with Furpo, but um, we, at the height of Alioski being a, a bomb scare, uh, we saw that as well. So, Darren, what's your thoughts on this going forward? Well, the, I've got two two kind of main thoughts about it, really. Um, one of which is that Jack Harrison is one of the players in the squad who's adapted tactically to Jesse Marsh's system probably a little bit better than others and has been providing some significant goal threats. So, similar to Rafinha, why would you want to move him out to the to the wing-back or full-back areas? Um, and the other thing is that... Um, I think he can do some of the build-up stuff. I think he can do the build-up stuff reasonably well from, from in the full-back area. I think he's, he's, he's kind of tidy enough to do that stuff. But defensively, he's, like, he's a proper ball-watcher, so he's, he's always getting caught. Whenever he's, whenever he's in that position, whether he's playing as a winger or whether he's you know, in the, in the wing-back position, I think that he's been caught out consistently enough with players running off the back of him, not seeing them. I think his one-to-one defending is pretty weak as well. Like, he'll he'll try, he'll put a lot of effort in, like, I've got no doubt about that, and he'll really stick to the task that he's been given. But I just don't think his defensive fundamentals are solid enough to play him in, in that area. And I think in, in Jesse Marsh's system, you probably need that more than you need the other stuff. However... That's not to say that I think Junior's particularly strong strong in those areas either. So, um, but I, but I just think you need Harrison higher up the pitch where where he can where he can sort of have at least half a chance of you know like he he'll do he'll do a good thing one time in six or something, won't he, Harrison? And and I think we we need that option or that that kind of that possibility, which I don't think our other forward options are particularly providing at the moment. Um, so that's kind of where I fall on it. Yeah, I suppose this is complexified by the fact that we played with wing-backs at the weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I wouldn't have a problem with Harrison playing as a wing-back. Um, weirdly, I know that 
Spurs are currently looking at Jack Harrison, um, according to the rumours anyway, um, as a potential wing back as well. Um, so there's there's clearly the the possibility that if you're going to have someone who's halfway between a, a sort of out and out winger and a, a wide player and a, and a left back, then Jack Harrison I think probably fits that bill. Yep, that's fair. So if we were to carry on with the three four three, I probably wouldn't have much of an issue with Harrison playing um, as a as a wing back. In terms of playing him as a left back, I'm I'm with you. I think it's just a bit of a wasted position, right? It's it's as you've said, Harrison sort of looks like he's at least structurally working in this whatever this system is that we currently have he looks like he's one of the ones who actually benefits best from those wide players from it so you're not only taking him out of that sort of situation you're also not playing Furpo who is a player that we brought in specifically to play the left back position and so you're you're not not only taking Harrison out of a dangerous a more dangerous position and putting him in a less dangerous position, at least from a build-up point of view, as you've said. Um, you're also you're also sort of reducing the size of your squad by one, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 it does. So that would be that may be my general take on it. But yeah, I think we've with with Junior, we've sort of made the bed and we have to lie in it, and we've been quite outspoken, I think, on this channel saying the issue with Junior wasn't even necessarily that we went for a, a sort of bold option and a. Uh, a, a, a sort of restoration project in junior. The issue was is that we didn't have anyone else there to be the fallback if in case it didn't work. Um, and I think we probably he probably would have been an okay signing if we had a starting fallback who in that side who is going to be regularly playing, and you can then use junior, you know, twenty thirty minutes at the end of games. But we don't have that, and he's playing the whole game, and he's getting yellow cards in the first ten minutes, and adding that sort of level of chaos to, to his performance that, that sort of worries us. And um, yeah, it's been a remarkable turn of events for me that he hasn't actually been sent off yet in, in many respects. Agreed. I think Yeldo would be playing there if he were fit at the moment because I think he's he's defensively solid and he uses the ball pretty well. And I, and I think he'd I think he'd be pretty positionally disciplined. So if he hadn't picked up that injury at Everton, I'd rather suspect that he'd be playing the left-back starting position right now. Yeah, just thinking of the full-backs that... Marsh has used elsewhere and there's there are definitely players who are they they sort of feel like outside centre backs rather than full backs playing yeah. in those positions yeah. so I'm thinking of, of Christensen and and Ulmer who played at, at Salzburg and then even players like Nordi Mugielli who was being played as a as a right back for for RB Leipzig as well Angelino maybe a little bit more of a of a, what we would expect from a from a full back mm. and I, I suppose they were playing by the end in a in a wing back system so slightly different but um I don't think you necessarily need to have full backs or wing backs in this system who are necessarily that gregarious going forward um mm. because of as we've said you're always going to end up with these players getting isolated 1v1 versus attackers so uh, defensive fullbacks is, is is a legitimate option in those situations but right let's talk about Statric Bamford I just wanted to talk a little bit actually about about pressures um, and the pressing side of things so um, in many respects there's the, the game against Manchester City was an interesting one because I think it's the first time we've played against a team where we're going to see a lot of pressures and um, I've talked about the fact before that when you play against good sides that's when you get high pressing performances um, so unsurprisingly at the weekend we put up 222 pressures um, which is uh, pretty high for the season I'm not actually sure where that fits in uh, according to the rest of the season but it's up there with with some of our 
highest pressing events uh, for a game. Um, FB Ref isn't working at the moment properly, so I can't actually compare. So apologies for that. But of those twenty-two, uh, sorry, two hundred and twenty-two pressures, uh, only forty-nine were successful. Uh, which is at a percentage of uh, 22.1%. And we talked the other week, actually, about how um, the press success rate for Marsh has been higher than it is under Bielsa. But again, I think that that is largely um, a situational thing. So we've played against teams who um, I think that that we've not been pressing against as much and we've been able to be a little bit more... um, targeted in our pressing whereas this is just team comes up against you they maintain possession for a long time and you're you're sort of running around after them trying to slow them down and and force them into areas and obviously that brings your um, percentage success rate down and obviously this comes with a caveat that pressure success rates are probably misnamed I think um, because the definition of a successful pressure is the ball is turned over within five seconds of the pressure um, and my issue with that is that you're not always attempting to overturn the ball when you're pressing the ball. Sometimes if you are, as we were in this game, attempting to move the ball into different areas to then press more successfully, um, your press may be successful without the ball being turned over within five seconds. So um, that by way of caveat. Um, but there were a few things that did stand out for me actually in this in this game in terms of some of the individual numbers, um, some of which will be maybe surprising to people but um for example Dan James was on the pitch for 45 minutes or 46 minutes um he put in 13 pressing actions and none of them were successful um and i think you know a lot of people justify his inclusion by um arguing that that he is a good presser of the ball now again the caveat being that um success of pressures is judged by um the ball being turned over um so it may be the case that they were good pressures that that didn't turn out that way. But I do think it was worth noting that Sam Greenwood also came on for, I mean, he was only on for eight minutes, but he had no no successful pressures. But then the other two players that stand out, Junior Furpo, uh, 16 attempted press, press, pressures um, with only two successful ones, at a rate of 12.5%. And then Calvin Phillips, surprisingly, with 31 attempted pressures and only four of those being successful at a rate of 12.9%. Um, so, yeah, um, that's just the, the pressing numbers that I thought sort of stood out a little bit. I wondered if you had any thoughts on the pressing side of things, Darren. Yeah, I, I, I am in, surprised and interested to hear some of those figures. I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised to hear Junior's um, numbers because because I think that he was kind of I think in the fullback positions and particularly on the left hand side yeah, uh, on Saturday I think we were kind of exposed and and also like so quite often overloaded so um, so Junior yeah moving towards the ball may he's he's just gonna have quite easily you know that the, the um, City player was able to very often find an easy pass or just go past him or. Or whatever it might be, so I, I I'm not necessarily surprised to hear that. I'm a bit surprised to hear Calvin Phillips' pressing numbers were so were so successful. Pressures were so low, rather than not not the actual pressing uh, attempts. Um, I think it's partly to do with the way that City use the ball. So w- Phillips is often very good at pressing when when a straight ball from a centre back is fed into the midfield and he can snap into the back of the the player receiving the ball. And you just don't see City doing that. They're not going to give up that sort of that sort of pass. That they're just not going to do that. Um, so I think it just speaks to 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 us playing against a team, even though the they weren't at their very best. They weren't moving the ball as effectively as they 
can do at their at their very prime performance, but who are just very schooled in being able to av- avoid pressing traps and who are able to move the ball very effectively through all phases of play in all areas of the pitch. You know, they they they're, they're just very very capable of evading a press and particularly a press which isn't as effective or as slick or as um or as kind of well oiled as 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 it could be. Which I think, although we did do well to funnel the ball well at times yesterday. Um, I, I still think that we've got a way to go in terms of making our, our collective pressing unit more effective because that's what this pressing is about, isn't it? It's about the it's about the cohesiveness of the unit rather than about the individual man marking of the players. So I, th- I think there are a couple of things within that, but uh, but I'm not really sure like what what the you know whether there's a more definitive answer than that. I'm sure you've got thoughts, John. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I do think a lot of it comes down to the the cohesion of the of the press, and I think. I didn't. I felt as though we pressed okay yesterday. I say yesterday. Um, Mon- Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. 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 I've lost all sense yeah. of time. <laughs> um, I thought we pressed okay, but I think we also were pressing in a situation where it was easy to press okay. So there was, particularly in the first half when we were sitting deep and absorbing pressure, there was a few times when we were able to sort of individually counter press and then get the ball back. Um, and it wasn't the result of uh, a well-oiled counter press. It was just. Manchester City player hung onto the ball too long and and ended up losing it, or Manchester City player got a bit complacent and left the ball out to to be nicked. Um, so I don't feel as though we were in that sort of zone that we want to be in, as you've talked about, which is you know losing the ball, turning it back over, and and then going from there. It felt as though we we sort of sat in our line of five and four. If the ball came into our zone, someone would press forward and and and, and try and cause problems for the City player, and uh, and a few times that sort of came off. Um, and that was down to, I think, maybe more intensity rather than um, collective organisation. Um, but yeah, in the second half, I felt we didn't do that so much. And that was probably because the structure was, once you sort of start opening out, and, and this has been the issue with us, I think, since Jesse Marsh has arrived. Once you start opening out that um, structure, then the counter press falls apart a little bit because you don't ever have the off-ball structure to, to then be able to have maybe two or three players closing down the ball and then a second wave of players around the passing options, um, the next next level of passing options. I and mean, that's what that's been what we've not seen. And I think the issue for me is, and I think maybe this is why their game against City was so... Um, was was considered quite positive is because that's not the way that Jesse Marsh is going to play, I don't think, very mm, often. No. And the issue is, is that in terms of generally in terms of creating chances what is what what he is going to try and do is not possess the ball in order to try and score but to counter press the ball to try and score um and so okay maybe against a few big sides where we sit in and 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 knuckle down and and play quite doggedly then we might look a bit more impressive defensively than we we might have done against other teams but the big worry for me is that until we start looking good against those the teams that we should be being competitive with, there, there's still going to be sort of worries there about, for me, the pressing side of things. The press has to be right because the press is not only just a way of us defending, but it's a way of us generating attack as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think still a little bit of a way to go with the, with the pressing side of things. But We've managed to talk for an hour, Darren. I was worried that we, we wouldn't make it through with just the two of us. but um, We can always talk for an hour about this it's stuff, true, John, can't we? Let's talk quickly then just about the the next game. So we've got uh, Arsenal on Sunday, uh, I believe, coming up. So, yeah, 
what your thoughts on Arsenal? What is it that you're looking forward to or dreading about that game? I am worried about this game. Arsenal's press has always been a thing that's caused us problems and I'll be interested to see how Arteta approaches the game, Whether he, because I, I, I do sometimes wonder whether he went more intensely into the pressing side of things against us because he knew that that, that was going to be a way to exploit us given the man marking and the way that we stretch the pitch and all that kind of thing and I don't think I don't think Jesse Marsh is going to do that however I think if, if Arteta does decide to kind of maintain that press then it, it gives us two two problems really one of which is that I don't think we'll be able to pick our way through it and then the other of which is that if we just go over the press or just start banging the ball longer then we're just going to turn the ball over a lot without getting into those dangerous areas which is really what we saw against Palace so I'm a bit concerned that it'll be a bit like the game against Palace but um, against better opposition and players that can really hurt us, so um, that's kind of what I'm worried about. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful and and really want us to to go out there and you know I, I suppose our best chance in this game and I'll obviously be doing the full preview, but our best chance in this game is to try and create chaotic conditions because I think I think at the back Arsenal might struggle if we're able to create chaos. Um, it's just whether we're able to get ourselves into positions to do that or not that, that's going to be the defining factor in the game, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's the sort of area that I'm interested to see how they, they impact us. Because I felt as though City were quite happy giving us space at the back. And I, I wonder whether or not Arsenal will mm. not be quite so happy doing that and try and force us into playing balls quickly and, and turning the ball over in those in that sort of movement from the deep build-up to... Um, more progressive areas so yeah plenty to look forward to we will have a preview podcast out I hope in time for that game Uh, but that does bring us to the end of this episode Darren it's been great having you on um, on your lonesome I'm always happy uh, to talk about football John whether it's with you or with other people and uh, I shall be spending the rest of my day watching snooker yeah well enjoy the rest of the the world championship final Looks like Judd Chomp has a lot of work to do to get anything out of it. So uh, I'm sure that'll be fun for you. But anyway, all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you, mate. And thank you, listeners. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.